This is a Momentum Media production. Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast. Whether you are considering buying your first investment property or reaching property mogul status, we dissect the fundamentals through to large-scale property development and everything in between. G'day, hey gang, Phil Tarrant here. Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glosser. I forget how many P's are in this podcast, but uh, uh, I don't mind P's. P's are good. Got to mind your P's and Q's, Paul Glosser. But I see, again, you've arrived in my studio late with a coffee for yourself and some water for yourself and some random guy that you found on the street. What's going on? Welcome you know to me. the show. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Happy New Year. But you know me well enough, Phil, to know that my coffees are typically about four hours old. Yeah, so correct. if you wanted that same coffee, it would be ice cold uh, with zero sugar and flavour. You can tell a lot about a person by the coffee that they drink. D- tell yeah, me more. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious to know what, what a man who sips a coffee for four hours stone cold, because I cop a lot of grief everywhere I go about it, but I'm pretty I'm sure you're same, a similar man. I'm very, very similar. So um, <laughs> you can tell a lot about how someone invests in property by how they drink their coffee. <laughs> you, sir, are considered slow, deliberate. You make sure it's right and you you savour you savor your success. And my water bottle's empty, by the way. Yeah. It's just yeah, well, that, that's placement. the other side, you know. It's, <laughs> it just makes you look good. Yeah, he's really healthy people tuning in uh, uh, wherever you're watching this or, or listening into it. And I know a lot of this is on audio, so I need to paint a picture mm. uh, for you all, but he's, he's sitting here with all his stuff lined up. Um, I don't know about like the, uh, the coffee that my, my homeless friend here that I've brought in uh, drinks, to be fair. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's short, black, and um, and doesn't necessarily drink it cold because he's of uh, of the European descent. You, say, you know what? You know what? Um, and I, this is a, an epiphany that I had probably... Uh, about five years ago, I was mm. at a I was at a big um, uh, a big defence conference, like an arm show, call it that, right? And uh, where we do a fair bit in that space. But um, and I'd, I'd been out on the night before, and I was ruined. I was out sort of you know, drinking with some officers from the Royal Navy. Hot tip: never do it. Anyway, I, I was broken, and I had to arrive at this thing in the morning, and I was I was really really wounded. Like I was sort of really hungover. I should have stayed in bed for weeks, right? And I think I did after it. Anyway, I managed to put on a suit, arrived looking good, and uh, uh, I think he's one of your clients, uh, uh, Will McGee. Ah, uh, he yes. goes, Phil. I'll fix you up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Took me over to this coffee stand and gave me this double espresso. With just a little splash of water, and he said, "Just, just pound that." And that was you. And, and I went, bam. And then every morning now, I start Changed. with, um, you know, um, uh, even when I'm travelling through France, I stand at the bar like a good Frenchman would do, and and and, and get my coffee, Minus my the cafe, cigarette. and I sit there. I don't have a lung in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but my coffee taste now, I like a quick, quick, short injection of uh, uh, Capital Growth, yep. and then I'll just sit there and, and then, let and it then brew a sustain, over. A then sustainable. It's sustain. Just top yep. it up, top it up during the day. Yep. And then I hit the champagne at night. Oh. Which is good. That's what you should do. Right. That's That's the system. Well, I reckon we've got the right person to attest or deny those facts as we speak. So, uh, Gerald (laughs) Touchard, did I get that right? That's it. I struggle with, uh, as much as I try and um, get people's names right, I I, I do struggle with fancy European names with inflections and stuff, or I don't know what you call them, those little squiggles and stuff you put above your name. Uh, um, Never been told that my name was fancy, so, you know. Mate, very fancy. Sounds fancy. Beautiful. Yeah, but you've still got a funny sort of, you've been here a while in Australia, but you still sound like a Frenchman. Are you a... You're an Aussie now. So you've got, you got the yeah. passport and stuff. Are, yeah. you, are you French Australian or are you Australian French? 
French Australian. French Australian. Yeah, uh, yeah got my citizenship uh, end of last year. Okay. Oh, congratulations. Only took 20 years. How did you celebrate that? I went to a Mr. Wong at yeah. a nice boozy dinner with a yeah, good friend of mine. Yeah. So. What you should be doing is getting a slab of VB, sitting on a park <laughs> bench, drinking it, and then fighting some local, and then you're a real Australian. That was that was the second option, <laughs> but uh, Mr. Mr. Wong. Before, so. <laughs> no, you've probably done better with Mr. Wong, I reckon. But, um, mate, that, that's good news. And so- why, why are you, Paul, why, why is Gerard with us today? Tell me what's going on. Well, we, we typically, as as we've sort of exposed a fair few different investors through the Pure Property Investment Podcast, the intention of our podcast, as we've, we've discussed over the months, is is to really not necessarily talk about strategy and fundamentals mm. and you know, different things that people could or maybe should consider. We want to talk about real life examples as to how people have started, what the struggles have been, where the sacrifices are, and go over a long period of time. Not just, I bought this property last Last month, I hope it does well. Let's reconnect in five years and figure it out. Gerald, I've known Gerald, who initially was a client of ours, became a good friend, and also has became now a work colleague with Impure Property Investment. Has a story that I think is not only unique, but is also a story of exactly what we just talked about: is is playing the long game with the coffee, um, but but is also quite an interesting one because it it, it talks about how you traverse not necessarily just buying property and holding and replicating, but it's got international assets, it's got off-the-plan assets, it's got commercial assets, it's got residential assets, it's got sale, it's got equity extraction. Most of all, it's got a long time frame to really explain how staying in the game, making strategic decisions, sacrificing can lead to some pretty big things from pretty modest beginnings, not oh. dissimilar to where you and I both started, Phil. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing Gerald in. It sounds like a, a good guess. And it's it's surprising how often you, you hear people start investing in property and then transition their career into property investment. It sounds mm. like you're very much right. So, so what's your – you obviously did, didn't grow up to be a, a buyer's agent. What's your craft? What's your trade? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a chef. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Could this get any more cliché? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I like the French, by the you way. You also went to Poodle. I do not. Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, I was a, I was a chef uh, in France. Yep. Uh, came to Australia 20 years ago. Started working in, like, fine dining restaurant. Got sponsored. And yeah, moved quite quickly to catering, and then that led me to uh, working like in chalet in in Europe. So I was running like a, a chalet, and then that kind of led me to working on yachts. And that yeah, just keep going. Uh, that's private kind of road, and uh, start working as a private chef. Opened my company like a few years ago, and uh, yeah, do basically private dinners around Sydney. And, uh, you, do yeah. you, still, you don't do that anymore, do you? No, You're I still that? do that. I, still oh, really? do that yeah. I can yeah. attest to, and I'll give him a plug, Northern Beaches Private Chef. I can attest that uh, Gerald's done a couple of team building things with uh, with the team I, I over. Might, I might need I might uh, need I was going to say, you might have your number one client here, yeah. which might lead to far more work than I want you to take on with the <laughs> chefing business. So is that, is that the fantastic. side hustle, is it? it? Or is that is that the main game? Passion. Uh, yeah, passion. passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I love I love what I do. I love cooking, love yeah. hosting, um, and but also love property and yeah. Uh, so you know what? Like I'm gonna do all my events on uh, on weekends anyway with yeah. the private chefing, and uh, so you know I'm gonna learn more about property working as a buyer's agent, and um, yeah, I just yeah, just really Sounds enjoying like it doing both. It's you know it's it's funny everyone. I know a lot of buyer's agents, right? Like I probably know more buyer's agents than anyone else around because mm-hmm. of what I do for a living. And there is no set path to becoming a buyer's agent. Everyone 
arrives there through their own their own pathway. Mm. Um, um, but like most things, and I don't know how we can continue to do this, Paul, but we're able to turn anything into a property analogy, right? We just did it with coffee. But um, I would say that the, the disciplines and the the routines and the perfection of being a fine dining chef would lend to you a set of skills which you would be able to use very well as a as a buyer's agent. And that's very much around preparation, you know, that the, the diligence and the discipline of creating fine dining. It's just not like a, a great steak arrives on your plate. There's everything from acquiring the the supply chain to get the ingredients through to the preparation, the ingredients, the sequence that you put those ingredients together to create a product, which is of benefit, and I'd say, like you know, hadn't really thought too much about it beforehand. But that chef discipline is a really good apprenticeship for applying that into the process of really effective acquisition of property. I don't know. You're probably doing it without even knowing it. Yeah, probably one imagine. of the best analogies. I reckon the mise en place. Yeah. Mise en place. The, yeah. That analogy no, for me, no. just as you're saying this, that actually makes so much sense. And the team that you use, right? Like you got sous chefs. You got even a guy who's washing the plates at the end of the the process, right? It is. It's a start to finish repeat, start to finish, repeat. And you don't want to deviate from that. Once you get, like, I know chefs like to, they like to experiment, right? But once you get something right and you're the business of chefing, you want to get that stuff out with quality all the time to the people that want it. And you just want to repeat, 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 repeat. It's good discipline. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, we, There's yeah. a new book, The, yeah. the, the <laughs> Chef's Guide to Property Investing. <laughs> It'd be a better seller than cooking, The Surfer's Guide to Property Investing. Cooking your way to financial freedom. <laughs> cooking your way to financial <laughs> I mean, we do say, you know, it's 90%, uh, you know, 90% prep, uh, 10% service. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that's really true in the kitchen and that's also really true in property. Yeah. You know, like all the research you do, and, you know, all, all the work to buy a property, like buying the property is, you know, it's, a very it's, small it's easy. Of it. It's, a, you know, signing a few documents, uh, but, you know, getting your finance ready, you know, like looking at the right place to buy, when is the right place to buy, you know, wh- which place is going to fit your portfolio really well. Like all this research, you know, it's 90% of, you know, of the work who makes that 10% magic. It's good. Good. Now, let's explore this, right? I've got a bit of paper here. So... The steps of cooking food, I'd say the key bits is the food arrives and it gets eaten, right? Food arrives and eaten. There's all this stuff beforehand, right? So how do you make a really good fine dining experience for someone? So let's just call it a main course, right? Where, where would you start doing that? Tell me about that. What's the first bit you would do? Yeah, good question. Uh, the first bit is, you know, sourcing the ingredients, yeah. which, you know, I, I spend a lot of time doing because I'm really passionate about you know, the, the produce where it come from, you know, not just going to calls and just buying um, a, any any piece of meat or piece of fish or, you know, fruit there. Uh, you know, like you can go to a fish market to buy a piece of fish and, you know, there is six or seven different places you can buy fish and there's only one I will use for that type of fish, you know. So finding finding the right ingredients, that's, that's a start. But the, the way I work is, you know, I will talk to my clients and say, you know, well, you know, you have a dinner party, a birthday, like, what do you want? Like, you know, like if you could travel anywhere and bring your friends with you, like, where will you go? You know? And sometimes they say, oh, we love to go to Italy, love to go to France. And I said, well, let's create a menu that's going to reflect that. So, so you start with what the objective is. Yeah. That is yeah. What, what, what do you want to create yeah. for the outcome that you want? Yeah. And what memory do you want to bring? You know, what, yeah. uh, like it, it's, and that's what I love about what I do. It's not, I cook the food I want to cook. I get inspired by my clients who say, you know, 
we've been to this restaurant in, you know, in Monaco. Oh, we loved it. I said, oh yeah, I spent a bit of time there. And then, you know, I will know vaguely what they're talking about, you know, so we can start creating a dish or a menu around that. So wine, you know, like a lot of my clients, they've got like really beautiful wine and they're here. We love to have this beautiful wine with beautiful food. And, you know, they, they get a beautiful bottle of Burgundy and I'm here, yeah, I'm, I know what I can do with that, you know. Steak and chips. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Diet sauce. <laughs> Steak and chips, don't worry about it. I went to a restaurant yesterday. Uh, I won't say which one it was. Um, don't have a fryer. Wow. It was like a fancy, fancy joint. We had like the lamb and the beef to share, right? Uh, I just wanted some fries with it. Like, yeah, you want, you want steak frits, right? That's it. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. Sickened. Had to get a potato rosti. <laughs> wasn't happening. I was sickened. And I don't normally eat a lot of carbs. I was like, mate, I'm having, I'm having steak frits tonight. So, so they didn't give me what I want. The outcome was wrong, right? <laughs> but back to back to chefing. So, so, so you would start with what? What is the objective? Yeah. Like when you start down a property journey, what is the objective? And, and I imagine, um, not to dwell too much on this, but I think it's really, it's, it's really good to understand the sequence of stuff. You, you need to know what that objective is before you can go and find the right stuff to meet that objective. So it'll yeah. be the same. I want to create wealth through property and do this, so therefore I need to find these type of assets. But I imagine also there's a seasonality of, of this as well, right? So, yeah, you know, you you might not be able to find that type of food today because it's not in the season. It's not available. It's not accessible. Much like property markets, you know, you might want a particular outcome today, but those things don't and they're not available right now. It, it's very hard if you're new to property investing unless you've got massive deposits to find cash flow positive properties because interest rates are so high. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult. So the seasonality of, of of cooking, of chefing, the seasonality of property is all interconnected. Um, uh, and no doubt then you've got the discipline and be able to create, you know, a fine dining experience that people are happy another with. another layer there, Phil. That's a, a real, again, you, you plumb with analogies. Mm. You've been reading your analogy book in the off season. I wrote <laughs> the book around <laughs> <laughs> analogies. But, but I do like finding analogy inside of but stuff. This is, this is key because, yeah. I mean, the amount of times, Gerald, you could attest to this that we, with our clients at Pure Property Investment. I mean, the amount of times we've got clients who have a bias towards a particular area because they live it, they know it, they want yeah. it. I want steak frits. Exactly. Yeah. Like, mate, you're in a restaurant that does things over coal. We don't have a fryer. You came here for this. We'll mm. give you something that's going to be sensational. But to the point, people may live in Melbourne or Sydney or you know Canberra right now. They might want because they've seen it do what it's done over the last three or four years. And like, well, the data doesn't suggest that's probably going to be the best fit for the next three or four years. You're trying to get Mooloolabar prawns in the winter. They're probably not going to be caught. And, and or there's a cyclone going through right now, probably want to consider some oysters somewhere else. You know, those types of things, that these analogies are, are thick and it's fast. Really good. The and, last and thing the you want, though, is a Chinook salmon. Ooh. You want to leave that to someone else. Not in this country. Not you know it's going to be frozen. <laughs> it's going to be frozen <laughs> and a bit ropey. But um, so you, are you allowed to have two passions? Sounds like you have a passion for property and a passion oh, for, I've got for many, cooking. I've got many passions. Really? What yeah. else do you like to do? Love surfing. Yeah, okay. Love riding motorbikes. You read his book, Surfer's Guide to Property I Investing. Did. Here's a new book, new I, installment coming I, out. <laughs> He's been working on it all over the summer. I did, yeah. I did. I, yeah, I read it like a, yeah, a few years ago. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was really, really hard to draw analogies around surfing and, and property. <laughs> I, I had to work really, really hard and I was around, you know, preparation, make sure you fit, make sure you got the right board for the right thing, you know, getting out's difficult. You got to plan your paddle out. You know, it depends on the conditions, yeah. the tide, the wind. Do I get all this right? Is this, is this sure. correct? Is that right? Sure, Phil. Yeah. You know, and then surfing the waves like probably 
3% of it all, but that's the good bit, right? Yeah. Maybe that's the capital growth. Oh, it I probably is, yeah. yeah. That's the elation. That, that's, that's the elation. Like equity extraction or selling the property. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I don't know how this is. I'm going to have to work hard to try and – that's, I don't know. Maybe we've got to do big wave serving or something. That's probably a different level of preparation. Maybe something right? – That's commercial investing, is it? You know? Possibly. Developing. Yeah. yeah. Towins. Yeah. Towins. Yeah. There you go. What's, 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 the, what's the jet ski of the property world? Jet ski, a the buyer's agent, is it? <laughs> is the jet ski the buyer's agent Bis- towing you on to stuff? Business ownership, I tell you what, yeah. that is kind of it. It's, there, there's some big ups and downs there that comes yeah. with all of it. But, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll let you stay with Gerald here because yeah. I think his story is uh, something that's- It's a um, lot more interesting yeah, than yours, a, personally. It, you know, completely. It, it, I think it, the audience it, it, would attest It feels that. a lot more rich. Organic. And organic. <laughs> but, um, so you arrive in Australia yep. to cook. Well, so you yep. arrive out here just to just on a wayward- Backpacking trip, or no, you'd already no. bought. So, so that that venture in in Europe took you to your first property in Europe, though, did it not? Yeah, no. Prior so, to yeah, arriving yeah. in Australia, or no, was no. It you here and then you went back. Yeah, so I arrived here in two thousand and three. Um, okay. Yeah, no, no backpacking for me, unfortunately. There was no no visa for France and Australia back then. So, arrive as a on holiday. I mm. uh, quickly tried to get a sponsor. Work in Circular Key in one of the restaurants there. Got a sponsor. And then, yeah. So, so you had pretty good credentials as a chef. Yeah, I worked yeah. in Michelin star restaurant in okay. uh, in England and in France. So yeah, you know, I was. I was so you're marketable. Did people go, yeah, we want you? And they grab you straight away. Yeah, I think you know, what, twenty years ago, I think anything who came from France and you know, with a you know, had a knife in his hand, <laughs> you've got a job. Yeah, yeah you, you, you weren't flipping burgers yeah, at McDonald's, right? Yeah. You know. Uh, so you arrived here um, after all this experience in Europe with a view to. Come and live here or stay here? Or? Yeah, I think the goal was to spend about yeah two years here, mm. and yeah, within the first six months, I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not this gonna, yeah, that's, I'm gonna stay longer than than two years. Yeah, and yeah, like during the last twenty years, you know, I spent a lot of time going back to Europe, working in Europe on yachts. You know, for for about six years, uh, uh, my my wife and I we did. Uh, six months in Europe and six months in. Uh, was she working in, on yachts as well? Yeah, she yeah. started working on on yachts uh, 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 with me as well. And that uh, all sounds very glamorous, but what I understand is pretty hard work. You know, uh, it's extremely hard work. You know, but you know, we have like great memories, and you know, realistically, like that's how we kind of funded, uh, you know, our first property, and you know, and probably like you know, helping, supporting the property portfolio after that. Like, yeah, that's Yodin Carrier. You know, we, we had like some really, yeah, really amazing people we work for. And, mm. uh, you know, they paid us really well. We worked really hard, but... Um, so where was your first property? So my first property was in uh, just outside Paris, uh, a little studio apartment on a ring road of um, of Paris, uh, northeast. Yeah, you know, like... Just very, very simple, 30 square meter studio. It's a pretty standard French yeah. Old Paris yeah. Paris studio. Yeah. Do you still have the do you still have it? No, I no. sold it uh, mm. I sold it a year and a half ago. But I bought two over there, kind of like a year apart. Okay. And then using the, the money that you created working on yachts in No, in, in the that Med, that or? was like just just from working. So okay. that was uh, yeah. I started working on yachts two thousand and 10 and yeah yeah around this time around yeah time. but but yeah. but the first one and the second one quite quickly with a mortgage um, with a mortgage with yeah a mortgage. Yeah. what do you call a mortgage in in france 
Because <laughs> mortgage is like, it's, means death pledge, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah. Okay, um, there we go. I'll leave that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm just curious, right? <laughs> so you had, you, had a, you had a mortgage in, say so you had a mortgage. Yeah. Like, do you remember, was it was it really high interest rates? Is it, like, no, is it sort so, of the same or different than here? So, yeah, it's so, it's so different. So, mm. um I was so first place. I was considering uh, buying in Australia or France, mm. and I remember the interest rate being here like we're quite high. And in France, they were around that four percent fixed loan for the entire time of the of That's the crazy. loan. So twenty years at four percent fixed. That's like in America. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, so you know back then it made sense to you know to buy. They didn't do like extremely, extremely well over time, but yeah. uh, you know, they, it was a good Cash learning. Flow. Yeah, it was a good, good learning experience. You know, buying and you know dealing with property manager in France, uh, which uh, you know they're not all the best. Um, and then yeah, bought a second one like the year after, and then the interest rate kind of went down over time, and you could just like go back to the bank and say, okay, well, we want to drop down the interest to what it is now. So you pay a little bit for this, but then, yeah, we had it down to uh, 2% Okay. for like Forever. You know, 18 years or 15 years. God. So, yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. So so a couple of properties in, in Paris. Yeah. So when did you start your property journey investing in Australia? Tell us about that. Yeah, so 2012. Um, so you've been at this for a while. Like 2012 is... Mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Mm. Like, that's quite a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, back then, like, you know, my my knowledge on property, especially in Australia, was very limited. Mm. I, I kind of felt like Sydney had to have a boom because nothing was really happening since when I arrived to 2012. I was like, it's just cheap. You know, it just feels cheap. Mm. So anyway, I bought, a, I bought a half the plan, off the plan in Sydney, yeah, yeah. So in Waterloo. Okay. The, the government was doing like first home grant, uh, no stamp duty. So, you know, like you're like, oh, that's, you know, 25 grand, just free money, you know. It's mm. um, not free money. I paid for it in sort of some sort of tax I paid no probably. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Yeah, no worries. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, anytime. Uh, but, you know, there is always a catch with that. You yeah. Know? So, uh, yeah, both of the plan, one-bedroom apartment, Waterloo. Yeah. Uh, with the 5,000 other one-bedroom apartments in Waterloo. 5,000, yeah. yeah. They're like if, yeah. Yeah. And the other, yeah. but you know what? Like we, we, uh, my wife and I have moved in it. We had our first son, uh, oh, cool. and um, and you know, you know, no regrets there. Uh, the property market during that time did quite well as well. Uh, so we did have the plan in 2012, uh, finished building in 2015, and uh, and yeah, like probably during 2012 and 2016, 17, like Sydney did did really well. Yeah. So what did you? What did you buy in at? Uh, what was the valuation after f- completion? Yeah. So again, we got lucky. Mm. Like we we got lucky with the timing. Yeah. On on that one, but yeah, we bought for four sixty five, and then by the time we actually purchased, like a few years later, like it was probably in the five twenty five thirty. Okay. So the the valuation worked in our favor, which was good. Mm. But is there a but? Do you still have the property? I could, well, I, I'll let I'll let Gerald answer yeah, that because yeah. there's a bit more there. But I think for me, and we were talking about this off air, Gerald and I, is that 
time is is fantastic in property, and and that's a classic example. And I guess you could look at that in two different ways. You say, look, we made a decision, we did something, we could have done nothing and achieved nothing. Mm. And as it turns out, you bought for mid fours, valuation came in at sort of mid low to mid fives at completion. You put a very modest deposit on. There was a whole bunch of grants that came with it. So you essentially probably by sitting on the sidelines for two or three years as it was being constructed, probably made yourself 75, 80, 100 yeah, grand. And, and the point is, how much money did you need to put in to control that opportunity for two and a half to three years? Yeah, not too much, not too much. So it was like uh, like the 5,000 deposit and I had to put on my credit card straight away, yeah. as you do. Uh, and then I had to come up with, I think it was 10% deposit yeah. within like the first couple of months. Yeah. So... I didn't have all the money. I knew I was going to go work on yachts. So I scrambled all the money I had and then went to the bank and asked for a personal loan. And then that was a 10% deposit. And then I knew then in, you know, two years time, I had to come up with another 10% and also a job with payslip so I could get a loan. Yeah. So yeah, we did all that. Um, so you did so, it, made it, yeah, got there. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. eighty. So we're talking sort of eighty, eighty-five ish grand in total. If we're talking sort of twenty percent of the yeah, mid yeah, fours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess going back to where you sort of look at this, where essentially you you controlled an asset that grew in value without really putting much down, but then you kind of you can look at it in reflection as your journey, as the audience will hear, it's evolved dramatically over the years. You call, and Phil, you bought in Sydney in that exact time. I bought a lot in Sydney as a company. We bought a lot in Sydney at that time, but again, established freestanding houses. I know for well that freestanding houses out west at that time that we were buying were probably circa 300K, 350 Yeah, um, yeah maybe. Maybe, yeah. maybe. And there was a few a bit cheaper. Yeah, and I know yeah. I can think of a few that were sort of mid twos. Mm, mid twos to low threes. And you sort of reflect back, but. But there's, there's this, like, they would have probably doubled or tripled the performance of that. And I'm not going to say, well, you should have done something different because ultimately, even if that was something that you had the knowledge at the time, you still need to come up with real cash. So this is where mm. an off-the-plan scenario versus buying an established property with a six-week settlement, as much as that would have performed exponentially better, yeah. it's it's irrelevant it because you reach. couldn't have achieved it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it's interesting because, you know, we talk about what you're doing in, again, if you had that opportunity to buy that property again, would you do it? Well, if you say, no, I would have bought that, but you couldn't have done it. You no, couldn't that, have bought an established yeah, freestanding house. Issue. And that's that's why the, there's so many different ways to really explore how to build a portfolio. But, but the, risk, the risk factor, which, you know, you, you find out later, like, you know, your, your question was really good, you know, how, how did the property and the LVR go at, at settlement? We could have gone an opposite scenario where, you know, if we bought, let's say, five years later in 2017, when the price were really high and then the price started going down for, you know, a few years. So if you buy off the plan, you know, when the market is hot and you're on top and then the market start going down, like you have to come up with a lot more deposits, you know, like I probably will not buy off the plan. Like looking back, it was probably very risky. Uh, yeah. It worked out well. I don't think I will do it again. Yeah, uh, a lot of you know, and, and the government puts incentives around sort of new build properties, right? Because they want to stimulate building, and yep. building means jobs, right? So you know, the government's government's got objectives there, um, and a lot of people will only buy off the plan apartments. You know, mm. so culturally, some some cultures only want to buy brand new properties, right? That's just what they do, and that's fine. And I, I know a lot of people who have done extremely well buying off the plan, but you're sort of rolling the dice a little bit, right? There's a lot of stuff you can't control, mm. and you find it, and you and it happens in different cycles that people end up in, in immediate negative equity at the point of settlement. 
where they they sign a contract for $600,000, this thing gets built. Sometimes they don't get built in the year that they say. There's ends up two years, three years, four years. That means you tie up deposits for that period of time, which you could have deployed elsewhere. But then at the point of settlement and the bank goes, yeah, that's only a $500,000 property. That's not a $600,000 property. So you're still contractually obliged to complete the settlement and find another hundred thousand dollars in order to transact, and, and it happens as well. So you know it is a risk. Yeah. It absolutely is a risk. And in terms of timing, you know, you lose your job during that time, and then you don't have the pay slip. Yeah. You know, like they, they give you they give you a few months' notice to say, you know, you, we're going to settle then. But it is a very high risk strategy, and I, you know, looking back now, I probably won't do again. Did, but did, did they build? the apartment as you expected because another oh, sort of r- risk, risk there's another risk aspect to this is that it's a year late but did they actually put the appliances in that they said they would put in did they actually do the finishes that were actually in the showroom because a lot of the times people move in and go this is like you know <laughs> I was I was pitched this high quality stuff but they've given me this and you sit there and go and I go well the contract says we can change it you know so is what you got is what was yeah, delivered? Yeah, yeah. What, what we got is what we what got delivered. Yeah. Uh, but the finishing of the build was okay. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. But it wasn't great either. You know, yeah. like it was a few, you know, f- few issues there. Then you know, we probably could have done a you know a building building report, uh, like a person building when we bought. We didn't. We I didn't know about it. Mm. But, you know, that would have been a lot easier to kind of go back to the company and say, here's a defect, just fix it. Yeah, like, and they would have made that, you know, they're not always really accommodating. And, and at the other end of the the scale in terms of risk, and, and I know the gov- governments, state governments in particular, are focused on this, The uh, you've had these these big tower blocks like the one out at mm. Olympic Stadium, which is yeah. still uninhabitable, is mm. that correct? Well, I think like, that, was, that's at the, the, the uh, worst extreme of like, things going wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of people tying up dough there. Yeah. You know, it'd be a 10-year period of, of money tied up in these these developments. Um, you know, there's always class actions and all this sort of stuff, and hopefully they'll realise their, their money back. But... Um, but it's a learning experience, though. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. And you need a bit of scar tissue is good as a property investor. And yeah. it evolved to, to a lot after that, I guess, mm. as well, which obviously we'll explore. So what was next after after your Waterloo, off the plan? Uh, so after the Waterloo... Uh, you still have the, the property? You, you, no, no, I sold, sold it. it. Okay. I sold it. So I was working for these clients in Vaucluse, and they were, like, you know, like doing really well for themselves. And they, they've been investing in industrial and commercial property for, for a long time. Mm. So when speaking with them, you know, they were like, you know, you should consider, you know, buying commercial. So I was like, okay, don't know too much about commercial, but, you know, in terms of cash flow and yield, you know, it, it does make sense. So I started looking at expert in, you know, commercial property in, in Sydney to help me buy because mm. I, I, I didn't know anything. So that's how I came up um, meeting Paul. So the objective was to buy commercial. And then when we start going down through finance with a broker, it was like, look, you need to keep building your residential portfolio first, and then you can go to commercial later. Mm. So I bought, uh, so as a client, I bought uh, two property uh, with Paul. Uh, one when was, was in that, Gerard, that was 2019? Yeah, 2019, yeah. Mar- yeah. March, two, March and April 2019. So, Bought one in uh, near Launceston, uh, and then bought one in Kalanga in uh, North Brisbane. Yeah, 
you've probably done well out of both of them. Yeah, so release equity from that Waterloo property, uh, put a little bit more money in, and then we bought this, yeah, two property. And then when we were talking about that Waterloo property uh, with Paul, he was like, look, you can keep it, but don't expect to have, you know, like it's not going to perform extremely well. So I did my research and I was just like, well, you know, we can keep it, we can sell it. Uh, it become an investment property by, uh, by by then. We were not living in it anymore. So it's just like, okay, let's 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 sell it. Let's use whatever money is left from from the property to buy another one. And then we bought one in um, in Forestville in Western Australia in Perth. And that was like just before COVID. So we sold when COVID was starting, mm. you know, becoming a thing. So that was like March, April, uh, twenty twenty. And then we bought uh, that property in Forestville, like, you know, a couple of months later. But, you know, during that following 12 months, that property in Forestville made, you know, under 20K. That property that I sold in Waterloo is probably still around the same, same than now. where I sold it. So it sounds like a, the right decision. And I think that decision, to be fair, wasn't a flippant one. I mean, we had multiple multiple meetings, strategy meetings over that throughout the years. And that was mm-hmm. from the first meeting talking about whether it's commercial, whether it's residential before mm-hmm. any decisions are made. Before we even made that decision, the key was finance. And this goes back to that initial analogy of mise en place and the preparation is we have to figure out where's the funding, how much can we borrow, how much can you get out of Waterloo? And that led to the decision of saying commercial is probably not right now. It's not never, but it's not right now. And that led to then, okay, equity extraction, two markets at the time that we had some strong focus that had to fit a budget because your budget wasn't unlimited. No, no, no. It was pretty small, yeah. And we also had to focus on cash flow because cash flow wasn't rife. There wasn't we, – we, we weren't just saying, hey, look, we have, happy with blue chip, happy to lose 10, 15, 20 grand a year. We couldn't couldn't really – we're trying to find, hey, what options are going to give us best of both and – Launceston, what did what did we pay for the Newnham property at the time? And it was in the Two, twos. Two seventy five. Two seventy five. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, you probably what's done that, well. What's that, that worth now? That'd be five. Uh, yeah, just above five. Yeah, five five ten. That's, I think that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, and, yeah and it's not going to go anywhere from here. It's going to yeah. stick at that number now for the next ten years. <laughs> but it's yeah. also what's it renting for? Pretty well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. renting for f- be fours to fives. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when, when we bought it, we bought it for two seventy five. Two thousand nineteen was rented as three twenty. So the yield back then was six percent, mm. you know. So you know it was was pretty good. The value five years later is five ten, is renting for four thirty. So you know we took equity out, but you know if we if we left it as is, you know it's a yield at eight eight point one five. Yeah, it'd be possibly geared if you didn't refinance. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and what is it now? Is it, does it cost you to hold it before tax? It I mean, bit, the, the portfolio yeah. altogether is a is a little bit negative, yeah. but not too bad. And that's mm. not that's not the entire. So there's more in the portfolio yeah, since yeah. as well. To get, just going on Kalanga, so guys, I know we bought pretty close to the same time. What did we pay for Kalanga? It was in the threes, was it? Yeah. So Kalanga is three forty five. Yeah. Uh, was rented at three thirty, so it was a yield at five percent. Uh, it's worth about six twenty now. It's rented for four eighty. Um, again. If we didn't refinance, the yield will probably be at seven twenty-five now, in you know, just under five years. Yeah. And and that was that inflection point. I guess that goes back to and there's be a lot of listeners, and I spend a lot of my time when we catch up with clients who are in relatively similar positions, saying I hold this property, and and I know we talked about this off air, Gerald, but it was your first property in Australia. There was a lot of passion into it. There was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of family emotion, you know, you raise your first child and all these things that we've all had them, that first property where you're kind of reluctant to want to release it. But the decision was there and it wasn't just you wanted to sell 
that property, I mean, we, we essentially we didn't need to sell to buy those first two, but you did have to get the equity out and then essentially you were at a roadblock then. But those that decision to push and stretch led from, could have just stayed in there, kept that as your investment rented, tried to buy your own home and go down that path, which wouldn't have been a terrible one, but essentially making that decision doubled the asset value, kept the cash flow relatively neutral and has also led to other assets from yep. that as well. <clears throat> And that's part of that ongoing conversation and not just being comfortable with status quo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, uh, you know, with, with my wife, you know, we had our first child. Uh, so she wasn't, uh, she wasn't working back then. So then we had our second child. So like we couldn't like, you know, we're going to see the bank and asking for money with one salary uh, and two, two, like, you know, two, two kids. Uh, like, right, you know, nah. it, it was... <laughs> You know, I I don't even know how the broker managed to get finance, and mm. they still get us finance now. And I'm here, like you know, you're like you, you they've done an incredible job to manage to get us, you know, the finance every time. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, we had to be like you know, talking about sacrifices. You know, like you, when uh, when it's you and your partner, you know, you you both have to be on the same line. Then you know, there is a goal. Uh, you know, it's going to be a better tomorrow. But there is some years of sacrifices where, you know, you can't spend money, you know, you have to show the banks and you, you, you know, you, 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 uh, you've got a tight, tight ship, you know, like you're not, uh, you're not spending money everywhere. Uh, so you can, you know, get us a bit more borrowing. So are you still investing now? Like is, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so have you gone to the commercial yet or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so when was that? How was that? So the commercial was when I joined uh, Pure Property. Uh, so that was yeah a year ago now. We 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 bought the commercial and we bought another one in uh, in Perth. In in uh, Super or outside of Super? No, no, all personal. Oh, okay, all personal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so you bought commercial in Perth? No, I no. bought a bought another residential in Iwicomb in WA. Yep. And pretty much in the same time, bought the commercial in Brisbane. Okay. And what sort of commercial? Just uh, industrial? No, just yeah. like uh, kind of like a office, okay. uh, but like in, I don't even know how to describe it's a, it. The boutique block. Yeah. yeah. Long lease, small block design. It could have development overlay at some stage, really good cash flow property, mm. good mm. long tenant, good location, and really quite robust when it comes down to being a little bit defensive, it's um, it's it's probably straddles somewhere between the Gold Coast and Brisbane, so it's yeah. not Brisbane proper, Brisbane CBD type asset. Mm. But is you know we kind of need as commercial to boost the cash flow because like the residential portfolio was kind of negative, and we we need you know we need to inject some cash flow into it. So yeah, uh, that's when the commercial kind of you know, made, made sense. So yeah, commercial does make sense. Uh, I like commercial. It's for, yeah. for at points in time. At, uh, at points, points in time. time. And I think that's, yeah, when it came down to that set, you've worked with the same broker throughout the years and yeah, the original advice was it's not the right time. Mm. Yeah. The cash flow, as much as it'll help, it's not going to help the borrowing to build the portfolio because cash flow, as we know, is it's not necessarily there to give you an income initially anyway. It's there to essentially hold the portfolio to get that longer term return and then eventually get the income. But again, you've you've done just gone straight to commercial. You sort of split that between commercial and resi, and that was via the extraction of the Tasmanian and Kalanga assets. Yeah, and from- selling selling one of the property in um 
in Paris as well. Yeah, correct. So taking some cash off the table, taking equity off the table. And at that time, did you sell Waterloo or that came after you bought those two properties? No, we sold Waterloo uh, in 2020. So, so that had also gone. So that released yeah. a bit of borrowing capacity yeah. at that time as well. And obviously tax-free profit because you had lived in that property. Yeah, 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 well. yeah. There's no capital gain, yeah. 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 So, so it sounds like you're just really beginning your property investing journey. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not it either, is it, right? Yeah. No. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the thing is, I think we've done, you know, we've done the, hard, the hardest mm. was the beginning. You know, yeah. like saving us, you know, I mean, saving that first deposit, you know, buying the first property, understanding, you know, how how it works. Like at the beginning, it, it is it is painful, you know, and especially when you don't have the knowledge, you know, you 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 have to rely on advice, but good advice, which is, you know, like, unfortunately, you know, you, you've got like a lot of people around you, you know, we always talk about that, that's home call or, you know, the, your in-laws or your friends, they, everybody's got the best interests, you know, in mind when they give you advice. But the reality is most of the times these advice are, are not the best. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, my wife and I got really lucky with, you know, we, we met Paul, uh, you know, <laughs> he's a good guy. <laughs> Uh, they, they did well with the two property we bought uh, through them. Uh, you know, introduced her to a good broker. You know, we share the same accountant as well. But uh, you know, introducing uh, to Munzerul, which uh, oh, you know, your account, is yeah, oh, which yeah. which you know, like the 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 advice we got from that you know circle of people. Yeah, uh, was you need to pay for good advice. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and you make a good point. You know, family and friends they want the best for you, but they don't necessarily always give you the. The, the best advice when it comes to stuff that they're not really that knowledge around. But but people like Munzerl's a great accountant. Yeah. No one else is allowed to use him now because I want him prioritising my stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's a busy man. He's a busy <laughs> he man. Is, he's very, very but, good though. But it's, um, also, it's also like um, you have to get, you know, you have to get your advice from the people who have what you, what you want, you yeah. know. Like if you go to the gym and you want like a very fit body, you're not going to get – a fat uh, personal trainer. Mm. You're going to go to the guy who, who has your bodies and you like, you know, in property is the same, you know, like if you, if you want to build a, you know, a, like a, a portfolio of property, you know, and, and get like that financial freedom, you can't get that advice from, you know, your uncle who lived in his house all his life, because that's, that's that's what he has, uh, you know, like good or bad. But you know, if if that's if that's the direction you want to go, and he has what you want, that's great. Mm. But if that's not what you want, then you need to get your advice from people who actually have what what you're after. You must have um working on. I'm just conscious of time, but working on boats and chalets and stuff. You you, you must have been surrounded by very wealthy people for periods of time. Mm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, being a fly on the wall. They talk about making money much. Oh and, yeah, I always yeah. ask them, you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah. like you know, it, it's a pretty personal job what I was doing, you mm. know. So I know a lot of their story and you know how they made their money, you know, how's investing, and you know it's, it's I, I mean some great stories there, but also on another extent, their, their advice, for example, around the commercial, they had so much money. Then for them, it made sense to have all this money working for them into commercial and industrial assets. Yes. But we didn't start at the same level. You know, no. I started with, you know, 150K. They started with probably multiple million. So their advice is not quite 
align to where I need them to be because, you know, I can't just go Apples by. Apples and uh, oranges, right? That's it, you know? that's it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes you just have to, you know, pay for advice and, and take inspiration from, you know, everybody's story, what's, uh, you know, what they've done well and, and, and you know, le learn from it. But it doesn't mean you can necessarily apply it straight away. Like, mm. So so other than working with Paul, what, what, what do you like about being a buyer's agent these days? I mean, I think it's two level to the question. Mm. Um, on, on a personal level, I'm learning a lot. Uh, I've, you know, as we were saying before, you know, I spend, you know, when I was uh, working as a personal chef, I will spend six, seven hours a day just listening to podcasts, you know, mm. property podcasts and, you know, just trying to understand, you know, a strategy where we can go. And if you do that for three years and listen, you know, six hours of podcast every, every day. It's like, an MBA really. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, pretty much, you know, like, uh, and there's some good podcasts around, you know, uh, you know, I was saying to you, you know, SPI was one of uh, my go-to uh, as, as podcast, but I've learned so much from it. Mm. And then, yeah, kind of wanted to, you know, like build my portfolio and I was like, you know, the best way to bu keep building it will be to work in property. And I just really like what Paul was doing. You know, obviously we had very good results with our property and I was just like, you know, I'm going to do my property license and ask for a job and, you know, see what How was the recruitment goes. process? Was it, was yeah, it pretty stringent? Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty low key. <laughs> He's got a pulse, get him in. <laughs> and an accent. Yeah, yeah. But if I can be honest, I mean, so Gerald is one of our key buyers agents with Lena, with Aaron, myself. Yeah. Our team has grown organically with Courtney, with Debbie, with Kim in the background as well over the years. I actively, and, and I do get people ask for a job relatively frequently, and it's not by surprise, but I guess the reality is, is that we grow when I know strategically I kind of want that person and we, the beauty about, you know, the reason why the, an interview process is very much not really something that we would hold ourselves needed. We, we were clients, we were friends, you understood property, you had a, a distinct passion to not have a job, but to learn and to deliver outcomes for clients to essentially expel the knowledge that you get on a day and out basis. The other big thing, which I guess to your two part answer to the you know, kind of the question and you, I think you could probably strongly attest this, Gerald, is that as a company, as a team, we talk about property all day, every day, and mm. not just for our clients, but for ourselves. What are we doing? Why are you doing that? How did you finance that? Why are you doing that renovation? Why are you selling that property? We literally talk about this stuff till we're blue in the face with passion mm. because it's. I think we've all been very lucky to find something that we really enjoy doing. For the most part, I mean, on the way in here, I had an hour-long conversation with one of our best friends and, a, and also a broker talking about a, a collective duo of properties. He's bought three properties. He's oh, now got, he's got 10 of his neighbours on and he's now got a nursing home next door who's looking at a $30 million option for his properties, which is a massive payday. Something we've been talking about him about for five and a half, six years, almost bought into one of the properties. Again, just this is just shooting the breeze nonstop mm. about property because it's just, it's such an enjoyable aspect. I work in it all day, every day and have done so for the best part of 15 years. And I still love it because the knowledge, picking up things, talking about people who have done things that you want to do or exploring things. I mean, we do this every day, which is one of the funnest things I think about what we do. And then you help people essentially better their lives financially as a byproduct yeah. of it all. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, for me, that's the second part, like just, you know, talking to clients who are where I was, you know, five years ago and 
they don't necessarily always have the full trust in what you do. Like, you know, you, you have to put your trust in the hand of people you think they're going to deliver a good result for you. But yeah, you know, like answering their question, you know, trying to make them understand and, you know, like it, it's hard to see the the full path when you're starting. So, you know, like when, when we bought the first uh, two property, like I really didn't know how we could go and, and keep buying more, mm. you know. But then, you know, it, it happened pretty pretty organically, but, you know, it, it does happen. And, you know, this conversation with clients where, you know, they, they've got their dad, they, they've got their set of ID, like, you know, going back to your stake, you know, they, they want they want to eat a steak frit and you hear, oh, you know, you could have a beautiful braised beef cheek with mashed potato, you know, it's still the same, <laughs> but it's, you know, like a hundred times better. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and. Making them understand and yeah, being so close to CBD is not necessarily better or, you know, just buying in, you know, Sydney instead of Perth or Brisbane is not necessarily better, you know, because it's just not the season, it's not the right time. Mm. And, you know, like we, we do, you know, we do portfolio review every year. So every December we sit down and we, we, we look at, you know, what the client bought, you know, a year, two years, three years, four years, five years ago. And then we just kind of send them a report and use you look at every single client who bought and, you know, the growth in the property they purchased and they made a decision to buying like, you know, a few years back, you hear, like, you know, it's really satisfying, you know, saying like you, you're part of that, you know. Mm. It's good. Well, you certainly have a passion for, for property, which is good. I, I, I couldn't do it. I get annoyed with property, you know. <laughs> Can't talk about it every day. I do actually on, on podcasts, but uh uh, yeah, I get a bit frustrated with property sometimes, but uh, yeah, that's the way it works. But you, I guess. you, you typically, I, I sort of knowing your portfolio, feel mm. you, you know, you've traded a few over the years, and yeah. you continue to do so. And, and sometimes that frustration is warranted because you look at you like oh, it's just this comes up too often yeah, for me yeah, to be comfortable with it. Maybe yeah. time to flip the, you know, flip flip the script on that one. That one's mm. gone. I'm going to replace it with something else, which I know is sort of part of your reshuffling process over yeah, the last few all, months. Yeah, it's all good. Years. You know, it's um, I like making money out of property. Yeah, I tell you that. You know, I like. <laughs> I like that's the, the meal eating part. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all I want. I want the steak fritz all yeah. day, and I want to. I don't worry about anything. <laughs> that's the reason why I pay people to do stuff for me, right? Like because you know that you want people to do stuff for you. They know what they're doing better. They're better at doing than what you're doing it, and they care about the outcome, right? That's about getting the right team. So the, the problem I think you're going to have, Paul, is that people are going to tune into this and go. I don't want to use Paul Glossop anymore. I want to use this this, this French bloke. He sounds a lot better. <laughs> to, to cook the steak fritz yeah, or, yeah. or, or to buy the uh, the decent property. Yeah. So how does, it, how does it work in your business? Like, you know, just... So, to, to, so typically when, when someone does contact us and, and someone could jump online at purepropertyinvestment.com, inquire now, set up a time to chat with myself or with Aaron or one of our team members, essentially, the first part is exactly what we talked about. It's, it's understand where we are. To Gerald's analogy is like, where do we want to be? You know, what, what season? What, what do, do you want, want to replicate? eat? What do you want to eat? And we have to figure out, okay, well, do you have, do we have the season? Do you have the budget to buy the product that is going to give you that satisfaction? And if not, then we maybe need to curate something slightly different. Mm. But essentially, it's that objective, that strategy. Once we get alignment there and we know that funding can be in place, structures, all those things that, that mise en place that we have talked about, once that's there then it's over to our team in general. I mean, Gerald has the specificity in certain areas of which he is an expert on. Lena has an expert area of 
expertise where she is going to be focusing on Aaron the same, myself the same. We don't necessarily say that everyone goes to one channel. It's saying, well, depending on what you've got in the portfolio, depending on what the budget says, depending on what we need next, then we're going to go into that area. And then that will then depend on who you're going to work with from a buyer's agency perspective. And that's always been the case. And that will always be the case because I don't hold all the secrets. If I want knowledge on particular areas in Brisbane right now, I'll go to Gerald. If I want knowledge on particular areas in the south of Perth right now, I'll go to Lena. If I want expertise in parts of Melbourne or parts of North Perth, I'll go to Aaron. If, mm. if they want some expertise on certain areas outside of that, whether it's development sites in Sydney, commercial assets and a range, the team will come to me. And and that that evolves. We, we deep dive very regularly as a business to try and figure out, are we staying in those markets? Are we going to new markets? And we've talked about this Fast 50 report that we're going mm. to launch next month with yep. SPI yeah. to fill it. And that will talk about some markets that we're going to focus on for the next 12 months. I've actually seen the first run of the data. Very surprising. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting one for you, Phil, and for the listeners. And Gerald sort of let the cat out of the bag a little bit there in his portfolio. The, his Forestfield property, which is one of the key markets that probably was one of the top four, top five performing suburbs in, 20, in Australia yeah. out of over 10,000 suburbs last year of every single suburb we bought four years ago. Mm. Now- I guess what I'm- Just saying. <laughs> just saying. What, but what I am also just saying, not just the, hey, we've picked some pretty key suburbs mm. and not just that, you talk about Tasmania, you talk about Brisbane, et cetera, but patience is also key here. We're not buying for a one-year outcome. You know, and Gerald's ex- experience there with Forestfield or with Newnham in, in Tassie or with Kalanga or with Deception Bay property you bought. You know, th- these, these are five, 10, 15 year hold still. We're trying to get a quicker than average outcome. But I guess going back to answer your question, Phil- you go set up a meeting, we set a strategy, and if you like the strategy and like what we've got to say, then essentially then from there, we we hit go, and then our job is to go and find the asset. And pretty much, and, and I guess Gerald could probably speak more to this, but our job isn't to find a property that day. We're trying to find properties in budgets, in markets, ideally unadvertised so we can negotiate, we can hold the script. I mean, Gerald's got a property in Deception Bay that he's buying for himself right now, which I think for memories of four, five, six months settlement, we're trying to get contract terms in our favours, Ultimately, that's where all of that work that we do in the background is to try and get the product for the client. So the key thing for me, and and I think you made this point really well, Gerald, is um, if you're going to be serious about being a property investor, don't do what my culinary habits is, is that, you know, I want steak fritz if I go to a restaurant and they don't have it. And, you know, you've got to put your hands and leave. You've got to put yourself in the hands of the expert if you choose to go down that pathway. And that would be the same as going, oh, I grew up in Blacktown, therefore I'll only buy properties in Blacktown because I know Blacktown and I know the area, I know the streets, whatever. You know, you've got to think a lot more expansive. And the best property investors I know are very happy with braised beef cheeks and, and potatoes once they found and find out and have a realisation that it is a better product and probably a little bit healthier for you as well, I would imagine. Sounds delicious, but, um, by the way. I'm delicious. hungry right now. Yeah, we've got to do that. you got to come and cook for us. Let's do a property <laughs> cooking show. We've done it before. It's good. Thanks for coming in, mate. Really nice to meet yeah, you. I've heard your name banded around a fair bit, so it's really nice to meet yeah. and, and bring some some additional talent into this podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. So um, uh, you probably talk to him. Just go, how do people contact you guys again? Purepropertyinvestment.com. They can catch up with Gerald. If they want to speak directly with Gerald, they can yeah. speak with me, speak there and speak with Lena. Anyone at any given point in time, one three hundred nine eight five four two eight is also Trained operators are standing by. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, it's not going to be, hey, call us and we'll talk to you immediately. We yeah. really do want to 
set up a meeting so we can actually have some preparation. You've got to be prepared, right? Yeah, we want to be prepared. This isn't a flippant conversation. This is important and we want to take time and we want it to be meaningful. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. This is uh, the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. We'll be back again uh, next month uh, for more of this and other discussions in around uh, property. Uh, And here's a challenge. Uh, Give us something. We'll make a property analogy out of it. (laughs) See how we go. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.